they're dinosaurs and one of them breathes fire. How do you fuck that up? There's your intro. Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast. We have the distinct pleasure of reviewing the IDW more than meets the eye comic book series, and today the fun side of it, the, uh, the Michael Bay live action Transformers movies. This is episode six. This is Age of Extinction, a movie that made one billion dollars. I'm here with billion dollar Ben. How are you doing, my wonderful co-host? better because i'm not watching this movie anymore but there was a moment in the middle of this week where i was like is this movie ever going to end (laughs) yeah yeah i think i've watched most of them in multiple viewings just because of like i don't want to subject myself to this in one sitting in a week on in a you know you finish work you don't want to just watch like three hours of transformers i did watch this one in one go it was not pleasant it's so unpleasant because it does just keep going like at one point you're like oh a normal movie be wrapping up at this point and it's like no no we're not yeah the longest one uh they have done two hours 45 you feel every minute of it every second of it i would almost argue yeah it really does just feel like they 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 tacked another movie on the end um there, there is kind of a feeling in the fandom uh a somewhat mocking feeling that they made this for china there is some filming in mainland China, but I believe a large amount of the scenes that take place in China are actually, like, Detroit and Chicago, and it's like, okay. But this certainly is a third act tacked on the end that feels quite alien to the rest of what you've been watching, to an extent, where, yeah, basically there's just another 45 minutes to an hour shoved on the end, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there is this point in filmmaking or like in in kind of box office trajectories where you notice that obviously in America the distributor of the movie gets like a lot of that box office gross because yeah. it's coming directly to them. They haven't had to license it out to to other theater chains and stuff like that, and and or maybe even other distributors. So there's a direct line of money coming into the film producer for Hollywood movies in particular, mm. and. That was kind of like how it's always been this why domestic box office is always seen as the most important metric because it is the metric that you're getting the biggest return on from the overall gross and worldwide has always been kind of like this also ran that is often dwarfed by like the domestic box office is twice as big as the worldwide box office. Yeah. Just in general. But then over the course of the 2000s and the 2010s, as the billion dollar movie starts to become more and more of a, a, a commonality. Um, you start to see worldwide grosses becoming, or the other territory gross becoming more and more prevalent in their numbers. Like, you look at Transformers 1, it's basically like a 45-55 split, 319 to 390. And still, that North American chunk is is definitely more valuable to Paramount than that worldwide chunk. Um, Revenge of the Fallen is the same way, 402 to 434 in terms of worldwide, and then the whatever happened, I don't know if it's Avatar, I don't know what it was that supercharged like all these other regions, it might be like foreign cinema laws breaking down in countries like China, where basically they're like, let's embrace Hollywood, let's bring all these foreign movies in to countries with billions, billions of people living in them. 
Yeah, a certain so you number get... per year. I understand it. Like they yes. have, they have a hard cap on. We will bring, say, ten American movies for general release and try. So I don't know if it's ten. It's probably more. Than yeah, that, I mean the but... rules obviously change an awful lot, but I do think Avatar broke open the floodgates to make the worldwide box office a lot more valuable. Because how yeah. else does a movie hit two billion dollars unless you are open to to giving out into other markets like no movie has hit a billion dollars from north america alone i believe the closest still at this point is force awakens at like 994 like it came so close to Mm. that solo movie making a billion dollars in one country and Um, we've talked about how for better or worse these movies are a fascinating snapshot into american blockbuster filmmaking practices mm. over time like they are a like when you were pitching this podcast to me i was like no we can't watch these fucking movies you know i was obviously on board when you were like oh we can look at more than meets the eye as well but like it was those kinds of points where i was like oh god they are weirdly fascinating as a time capsule like you know you, you have the rise in 3d filmmaking for dark of the moon and then Obviously, that one made a ton of money worldwide as well, but this is like very much the like the courting of the Chinese box office. Yes, yeah, I think which this Marvel is, this obviously is the, are like completely into exactly, as well. Like, you've got this kind of like flip moment where the, all the other movies have been like this forty five, fifty five. They're basically making the same amount of money in in North America and other territories, and then Dark of the Moon is like it drops fifty million from the previous movie, but the other territory grows like doubles. And so you end up like it hits a billion dollars and that billion dollars is almost entirely coming from the worldwide gross. And then this movie does the same thing where this time the domestic gross drops by a hundred million dollars, but worldwide grows by like another hundred million. It makes less than Dark of the Moon, but even more of that is coming worldwide. And you kind of see like this is that exact window where like some of these franchises are supercharged. And I feel like that 2014, 2015 window is kind of like really, really integral to that jump because you do have things, as you said, like Marvel doing it with Age of Ultron, where there's just a sequence in Age of Ultron, which I always forget exists in that movie. All where the Korea stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you've got things like The Great Wall happening, where yeah. that is a, a Chinese production that they caught Matt Damon to come star in, but is a, is a massively international cast for the most part of that mm. movie. Furious 7 is like the movie that like goes absolutely supersonic and obviously some of that is the untimely passing of Paul Walker mm. but I do think it is also like it is a massively international franchise with a diverse cast primarily of like non-white individuals that I think makes it more receptive to yeah. other territories but obviously when I say diverse you can't have it be majoritively black because no racism in these other countries but yeah like furious seven is imagine the box off i mean i know i know a huge reason black panther makes so much is because it is this like giant like fist pump in the air hell yeah moment for black people but like imagine a world where it also gets the same level of of worldwide box office as every other marvel movie was getting that thing would make like like three billion fucking dollars or something i don't know yeah um uh, but then you've also got like uh, the 2015 is obviously the year of jurassic world which is another year mm. where like a billion dollars comes from international money and that's another one where they've got yeah. pointedly like asian actors and stuff like that to to kind of like drum up support in these countries yeah. and the outlier in this window is force awakens which as i said does like 900 million it domestically and then only just scrapes two billion worldwide. Yeah. So it's still doing that fifty fifty split, which was becoming increasingly rare 
in this day and age. And like, I mean, even something like last year, Avatar does six eight four at the domestic box office, but two two point three billion worldwide. So that's still a franchise massively driven by the international box office community. And a lot of that is also coming from that. Like again, it's it's not white people. It's again, it's it's blue people more than it is white people, which I think does help in these things and but but ultimately like this courting of china dies hard in the next kind of three years and we'll get to that with last night but like there was this window where hollywood was like we need to put we need to shoot a scene in in china and yeah. that will get yeah. us chinese box office was, was like, the big thing i feel like they inserted a couple of chinese characters into iron man 3 like quite mm. slapdash late on kind of thing and and you start hearing this around the time that like oh yeah they they most franchises are now going to make a point of adding either a scene in China or somewhere in East Asia and, or a Chinese character that will have like three fucking lines and like you just pessimistically are like are you seriously telling me that inserting this character who barely fucking talks is going to give you a bump of an extra billion or something and like you know, maybe I don't know but I mean I think there are points where like one, I think Chinese cinema goers realised how cynical this was. Mm. I do think there are movies where, like, those characters got entire subplots or, like, yeah, additional yeah. scenes that were shot that were only shown in in those countries. But, yeah, like, I think Chinese cinema goers realised how cynical it was, and then, obviously, at a certain point, China started cutting off big Western movies from coming out in China. And I don't know... I don't think anyone's ever figured out what the exact reasoning is. There's part of it, like, is China wanting to claim the top box office for a year especially in that covid period where like that, that was definitely achievable and they are getting increasingly close to billion dollar grossing movies that solely release in mainland china i mean is it um is it like the rise of right-wing americans or like fuck china kind of thing and they're like hey I mean, fuck you there's, there's <laughs> all kinds of things that i think are feeding into this but like age of extinction comes out in kind of like the peak period yeah. of Hollywood filmmaking is like we need to appeal to China, so let's put Bing Bing Lee in this movie and yeah. and have like the entire third act of this film be set in China, yeah. even though like that. But that's like, <laughs> it doesn't. It feels so weird because it feels like it's more an Act Four and Act Five, and like yeah, the movie yeah, is yeah, wrapping yeah. up with <laughs> lockdown on the alien spaceship and all the rest of it. Well, yes, I mean the. <laughs> I texted you while we were watching it, like, did they know? Did they know and they made a different movie by accident? <laughs> like, all the marketing is Dinobots, and they're in the prologue, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, Dinobots. Uh, well, dinosaurs, and they've unearthed a, a Dinobot. None of that is coming back <laughs> for, another, like, two hours. And then they're in the end, and, like, it, yeah, everything in the mid... Like, it is so at odds. Like, you have a story here about lockdown, hunting everyone, and, like working with the government and, like, you know, fucking Frasier as this, like, surprisingly good right-wing villain who's like, I'll do anything to protect my country. And, like, that's... I'm not saying it's good, but that is a movie. And then you're like, hmm, yeah. what if also Transformium and KSI and Dinobots and off we go to, to China for some reason? And what if, oh, I don't know, Optimus flies into space at the end? Um, and for a movie that is two hours and 45 minutes... You know, obviously long credits, but it's still fucking long. For it to feel like there's so much stuff they're holding back for another movie is egregious. Like, like yeah. how dare you lock Lockdown's entire motivations into a sequel that obviously they were going to make. But, like, how dare you, like, 
just assume I'm going to sit through all of this and then collect my payoff next time. Yeah, I mean, so this is this is where my main complaint with this movie is. Like, I, in, to varying degrees, enjoy Transformers 1 and 3. Obviously, 2 is a sin, and a lot of that sin can be fall, <laughs> at, like, fall at the ground of, like, Michael Bay fully going for it himself and yeah. making his pure, unfiltered vision without those pesky writers around because they're striking. <laughs> this movie is like he's lost control of the franchise which feels insane to say like after dark of the moon is like the highest grossing movie in the franchise i wonder if part of it is like the box office decline between one and three means that he loses or sorry two and three means that he loses i i think it's some as, of that momentum i think it's as simple as he wanted out and he came back in out of like allegedly he like visited universal studios and like the line was so long for the transformers ride he was like wow these these really affect people, don't they? And like got talked back into it. And like Paramount fund and, pain and gain for him. Like here's right. your passion project. And like he says that Spielberg told him to stop at three and he regrets doing four and five. It's strange because like neither of us have seen The Last Night. It's the one of these that is like a complete it's the only thing we've got mark. left to cover. Only thing we got left to cover because we've read all the comics. Yeah. I have seen but Rise of the Beast, you've not, but like... I will, that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, this is the one, with that caveat of I've not seen The Last Night, and I have not yet seen Rise of the Beast, that frustrates me the most. Mm. The others are like, good or bad, or like, ah, oh, you could have been a little bit better. But yeah, This it's... one really fucking frustrates me, because there's so much here, and it's so bad. <laughs> like, this, this is I the one is... where, like, our podcast, you know, you may think we're on parallel tracks. Like, why are you comparing these fucking comics that have absolutely piss all in common with these giant fucking movies? This is the, the, the one where we are crossing the streams the most. There are so many nods in this movie to IDW comics in general, uh, but also just other Transformers things. Like, there are a lot of things that are in Transformers Animated and Transformers Prime and stuff like that that you don't really see in most of the other movies. They, they are very much like, yeah, broad strokes of G1, whatever, whatever. This one is like, okay, we're active. I believe they actually, like, met with Hasbro and were, like, Hasbro were pushing, like, here are all these things you could use. And clearly, they took to them because Lockdown is invented for a cartoon um very popular makes it into this movie as as the villain does not exist in G1 does not exist before like 2007 something like that drift is in this movie drift was created for IDW comics by Shane McCarthy who does not like his portrayal in this movie and fair Wait, what? but also oh, allegedly no. does Shane. not I know also allegedly does not like his portrayal in more than meets the eye which is fascinating because like <laughs> That's the one that made him a good character. <laughs> yeah, and um, that's the juice of that character, because otherwise he is a character who keeps on flip-flopping between whether or not he's Decepticon, whether or not he's a member of the Circle Light, or whether or not he's an Autobot. Yeah, you also have stuff like the Dinobots are like a separate faction that like join up with the Autobots, which I believe is straight out of IDW. The humans, you know, we've got like a human paramilitary force who are hunting Transformers. We, we have a compromised human government affiliated person who was making deals with Decepticons for the good of his country like and even something like these these seeds that the creators planted that we see in the prologue and then like Stanley Tucci is carrying around China like a maniac even those I mean this might be a leap on my part they feel slightly like shockwaves like ores that like 
terraform mm. planets and have magic properties. So, like, you know, it's not like they're taking an entire single plot line or, like, d- directly adapting one thing, but this is the movie that has the most elements that are, like, directly prevalent. Oh, and, and sorry, the most... The biggest thing is they openly said they softened the, like, complexity of the designs of the robots to to be more in line with IDW, which are smoother. And I'll say, like... I like these designs of of these, especially the people who are newly debuting. Like, I feel like they they couldn't change Optimus and Bumblebee too much. But, like, our new band of Autobots, purely from looking at them, they offend me less. Aside from the colour and the thickness. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, all, all of the things you say, yeah. what this reeks to me is, and this is the first time this franchise is doing this, is because I feel like... Obviously, in the first episode, when we were discussing 2007 Transformers, I was like, this movie could have overpowered Hollywood filmmaking, but was beaten by the punch of, like, Bourne Ultimatum, Iron Man, and Dark Knight. Kind Mm -hmm. of, like, just beat it into the ground in terms of having an impact on action filmmaking in the late 2000s, early 2010s. This movie is reacting to the MCU. Like, this is Hasbro looking at what Marvel has and going, we need to create a united universe... Yeah, and yeah. a united kind of like set of ideals. An idea they obviously to... let go and don't follow through on in twenty twenty three. But I, I, that's the thing is, I just have to like. When was that era where like all they were like all the cartoons from now on are in the are same year? Are you talking about the aligned continuity? Yes, the aligned yeah. continuity. So like that never makes it beyond cartoons and video games, unfortunately. Um, there yeah, are no... I think it is. I think it is an important thing to kind of like. That they were up. making a try though. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah phenomenally popular set of video games well i say phenomenally popular i feel like cult hit video games um war for cybertron fall of cybertron and then there's like a quasi sequel that's also a movie tie into this called like rise of the dark spark and it's like 50 percent on cybertron and 50 percent on earth and like you know whatever yeah those were quite popular and they're kind of like G1 influenced, but with designs that sort of fall somewhere between G1 and movies. And then like a series of cartoons are also part of it. And they were, yeah, Hasbro were trying to bring it all together. Because I mean, that's probably the biggest barrier to entry to a mega franchise like this. That you have to have brackets and then whatever era or continuity you're talking about. Are you talking G1? Are you talking aligned? Are you talking movie-verse? Are you talking IDW-verse? Like... Are you talking Dreamwave verse? Are you talking IDW rebooted? Are you, you know, like, and then we're gonna get a new one this year? Yeah, like you go on. New comics are coming out, and like you've got the um the fact that like you go on TF Wiki and you'll click on a character's name and it will have G one, and then it'll give you a billion different continuities that are all G one light, but then it'll also have this cartoon continuity and this movie continuity and and all these different things. But yeah, I I think Hasbro in this era are reacting to what Marvel is doing in creating the MCU. And they're giving a set of rules to set these movies up. And it becomes only bigger when you learn that, like, it's after this movie in running up to last night that they set up the writer's room, isn't it? Where they're like, mm. pump out five or six ideas what the, we could do with future Transformers movies. If Michael Bay wants to continue, he can carry on doing movies in the last last night kind of like trilogy i guess as like with age of extinction last night and then whatever that aborted third movie was going to be and probably would still exist if michael bay said he wanted to come back and do a do a sixth one of these movies but now they're working on this like i feel like they've got these ideas and now they're soft rebooting the franchise again to kind of like do a new continuity with bumblebee and, and rise of the beasts but yeah like they're reacting to marvel they're giving them a set of like 
key points to hit on is you've listed all of those that are like allow them to say that there is like a a thought process behind this in the comics and in the movies, but they're also stapling onto something which is so driven by a director who does have a distinct personality that it just becomes noise. Like it doesn't matter that you've put Dinobots in this movie because the Dinobots are only going to be used for like looking cool in like 10 shots because there's other things that Michael Bay is more interested in. And those things tend to be soldiers and, and his weird comedy characters and stuff like that. Like the fact that fucking brains gets to come back in this movie. (laughs) Like, and I believe that we get the the other one, whoever get the name of wheelie or whatever is back in the next movie. Like he will just, he will not let these two fuckers go. Mm. Like, we need a little stupid <sighs> character and all the rest of it. But yeah, like, Bay has such control over this franchise that trying to make Bay follow, like, Hasbro's edict just seems to just implode. And so you have these two warring egos that end up making a movie that is fascinatingly dull. It feels soulless, which feels strange given, I would say, all of them do, but this one even more so like this feels like bay is like yeah whatever let me shoot and like i'm not saying he was ever like passionately involved in plot elements but it does really feel like this one is being made in in like producer meetings and marketing meetings and then like the movie is an afterthought He's also kind of, like, levelling up his cast for this movie. After teasing us in the last movie where, like, here you go, let's have some, like, qualified actors, like, rule the roost for this one. In this one, like, the top three build actors are Wahlberg, Grammer, and Tucci, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But they're one, two, three on the call sheet. And I'm not saying that all of them are, like, the biggest stars, but they're all people who have led movies, led franchises, uh, like, been the leads of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gra- Grammar's on his like Fraser Revenge tour, where he's like, "I refuse to just be Fraser. <laughs> Let me be he's, shithead right wing." Yeah, people. he's done. He's done boss. I think at this point, uh-huh. uh, I'm just trying to think. Like, because obviously he's he is more of a TV guy, but like yeah. he's in Expendables three this year. <laughs> <laughs> well known action star Kelsey Grammer. Oh man, his turn as Beast really like rocked the Expendables producers. <laughs> like we must have him. But yeah, he's done Boss, like the two season show that he did, which was like him trying to erase his image of like uh, of being yeah, Fraser. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but which has now gotten to the weird point where like there's a Fraser reboot, but he's the only returning character. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Apart from Oof. apart from Baby Newworth, who's coming back as Lilith as a recurring role, but like but do that's pure. But that's purely because. That he obviously has a son, so they kind of need to acknowledge that the son has a mother at some point. <laughs> That's generally how that works. You know who's playing the co-lead or like the second lead on Frasier or this <laughs> Frasier reboot? Obviously not. And I just learned for the first time he's the only one coming back. Go uh, on. Nicholas Lindhurst is playing the second lead on the show. Oh shit! I think I did know that. I was like, yeah, what? He, he only falls on horses. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Let's combine Cheers and who only the, falls on horses. Who the fuck is he playing? <laughs> uh, he is playing. Alan Cornwall, Fraser's friend from college, who is now a professor. Jesus fuck. Right, <laughs> um, you mentioned Mark Wahlberg. Allegedly, he was cast off the back of a fan rumour, uh, wherein it is offered to Big Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, who is that busy... That makes sense. It does. Who is busy with Hercules, so I was like, nah, I've got this far, far better thing to be in. Debatable. Fans are like, oh, Mark Wahlberg... You know, the Paramount are like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's bullshit. And they're like, but wait, 
and then they cast him. And it makes sense. Like, if if, if this is the direction you want to go, like, these things have gotten more and more, like, America fuck yeah, uh, which is funny given how much money they're starting to make in China. But, like, American flags fucking everywhere. You know, he's, he is, like... I don't want to call him Captain America, but, you know, he he is very much, like, all-American leading man, dumbass, like, muscle-bound jock of, of, of a generation, you know, like... It just feels right, yeah, him, done, like, like, drinking like, a Bud Light at someone before. and smashing it. It's like, yeah, that's a Mark Wahlberg thing. Mark Wahlberg's in this, like, very weird place where, obviously, like, we've talked his role in The Departed in the run-up to this, like, on, on the Wolverine movies. And, in fact, we've, we've talked his two best performances with Boogie Nights and, and The Departed, I think. Boogie I Nights, think wherein really... he sings The Touch. Yes, he does. <laughs> he does indeed sing The Touch. And then he's got this kind of, like, weird run post The Departed where, like, he's does, like, Shooter, he does The mm. Happening, he does Max Payne, Lovely Bones, The Other Guys, The Fighter, Ted. So he's kind of doing that thing where, like, he's flitting between... As you say, like all American action hero style guy and comedy roles, and I feel like the comedy stuff is hitting for him a lot more than the action stuff. Well, because I think he's kind of—I don't know if he's in on the joke, but he is kind of like a punchline of a of a of an individual. And I feel like a lot of things wield the meta of Mark Wahlberg, and he just thinks, "Oh yeah, I'm funny." And it's like, yeah, you're funny, but also we're making fun of how bad you are. <laughs> yeah, like Pain and Gain is one of those movies which I think does rest on the laurels of like, it is funny, but it's only funny because you've got Mark Wahlberg and Dwayne The Rock Johnson who are like two of the actors who take themselves the most seriously <laughs> in the entire world. Mark, 9-11 wouldn't have gone down that way if I was there, Wahlberg. <laughs> like, isn't he in that movie about the Boston like bombing at the marathon and he's in like deep event horizon or whatever. he's in deep water horizon, deep water horizon. Like, uh, yeah because uh, he, uh, he he teams up a lot with peter berg like peter berg is like obviously a director who who likes to use mark Wahlberg, and they fit together well in terms of their sensibilities um it just feels like he, he's trying to position himself as like i was there for all the big current american events kind of thing. like he's uh Jesus. And they cast yeah, him like, as a motherfucking inventor for reasons that escape all of my grasp on reality. Every single one of these movies that uh, uses Mark Wahlberg the worst are movies which make him intelligent. <laughs> I have to, like, like, this movie kind of gets it half right in that if you have him be low status... And kind of like down on his luck, like like embodying the American dream. Like he is, mm-hmm. he is fighting to kind of like get himself up there. He will be heroic by the end of it because all Americans can be great no matter where they come from. Yeah, the issue is, earth, single yeah. dad, like manual labor, pay what you want, like you know. Yeah, it's the same thing that hurts the happening. Where the happening positions Mark Wahlberg as a high school science teacher. <laughs> oh man. The least likely and, teacher casting since Thomas Oliver returned to Power Rangers Dino Thunder as a paleontologist <laughs> and professor. He didn't even have a dinosaur as his megazord back in that time. And he yet didn't, he's yeah. like, I, really, I really like dinosaurs. He wrote a Godzilla, but he just got such dinosaur envy, he went and became a paleontologist. But yeah, like this this movie decides, yeah, he is an inventor. And the movie doesn't like, I think the movie realizes that having him be an inventor is a bad idea, but they've already committed to it in so many different ways that like 
he yeah. turns into like a Wayne Selinsky from like uh, Honey I Blew Up the Kids kind of inventor, where it's like all of his ideas are like, or like the dad from Gremlins, where like all of his ideas are bad. It's like a little bit shit. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. impressive you made this, but it's a bit shit. <laughs> like, why isn't he just a mechanic? Why isn't he like a former military mechanic? So he's like, yes. oh yeah, I can handle a gun, but I'm not like a super soldier. And then like exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I think they want to have him have the moment with Tucci, where Tucci is an inventor, and they want him to have, like, a meeting of the minds. I know, like... I know. And, like, <laughs> Dude, this ridiculous, like, respect kind of thing. Like, I'm, I'm rich and you're poor, let's dance together moment. Warburg could be alright in this movie, but they just position his character in this, like, weird no-man's land where he just can't work and i have to i i think this might be the most disastrous performance of his entire career i think he is like completely out of his depth i don't think he knows how to like interact with the cgi elements in a in a convincing or like able way like they pair him like the two people he is paired up with are tucci and optimus and he is outclassed by both of them, and I think optimus (laughs) is like kind of abhorrent in this movie as well well yeah uh, big time (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, you just don't buy... Like, you know, we, we had Sam as their, like, you know, what are the odds, like, companion for three movies, and they a huge plot element is him, like, trying to stay part of their lives as they've moved on. But, like, there's something there, and there's chemistry, and there's history, and, and whatever. And then this is, like, trying to sell you on... Cade is now going to be Optimus's best friend. And it's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I just yeah. simply don't. <laughs> Cade is going to convince Optimus that humanity is worth saving. <laughs> yeah. Should we should we get into it then? Um, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So, this is the first movie to not feature Optimus narration at the beginning. He does do a little monologue at the end. It rules in how bad it is. Instead, we have, like, the extinction of the dinosaurs by Cybertronians, like, yet more, like, the film series taking the stance that, oh, Transformers are part of all of Earth's history, don't worry about it. And then, like, yeah, they they unearth a Dinobot in the Arctic. This character, Darcy, played by Sophia Miles, she does not show up again for well over one hour. And it's like... I I also don't understand what the trajectory of this is. So they uncover... They uncover Dinobots in the Arctic. And it's like, cool, at some point we will revisit this location. Yes? Yes. (laughs) Yes? No. Uh, Well, kinda. (laughs) Kinda. (laughs) Kinda, but no. (laughs) <laughs> but like, yeah, that's the thing is, like, you think at some point they're going to come to the Arctic and they're going to find a whole bunch of like Dinobots that are hidden in the ice and stuff like that. Instead, <laughs> this movie posits that the Dinobots, who were created sixty-five million years ago by the creators, putting Transformium onto planet Earth, I presume. <sighs> Transformium, yeah. We're, we're in Unobtainium. I will no. I will give them that it's called Transformium by a douchebag inventor, like mega corporation. <laughs> what pains me is that, like, when you read anything about this movie, any kind of summary, everyone calls it Transformium. I'm like, but you know that's stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, and then about halfway through this movie, Optimus gets captured and put into a thing and told that he's a knight of Cybertron. Yes. Um, oh, there you go. Our knights of Cybertron. There's another fucking IDW tie-in. Yes, the Knights of Cybertron, and then the Dinobots are in cages. Presumably, mm-hmm. Lockdown has captured them yep. in the Arctic. Yeah? yeah? At some point, un- sight unseen in this movie. And he's like, yeah, I capture all the worst, and like these are Knights of Cybertron. Or is, like, that's the implication I got, is that he they're says, also Knights like, of Cybertron. 
I've spent, I can't remember how long he said, he puts a year on it, uh, trying to get, like, you're the last night of Cybertron, and, like, I guess that's why you have that next fucking movie called The Last Night, but, like, yeah, that he's, he's been trying to capture them all, and Optimus is the last one. So Optimus, we are led to believe, has a side hustle. <laughs> It's a noble warrior knight with a bunch of people none of the other Cybertronians have ever met or heard of before. It's like, um, your exes are weird. (laughs) But yeah, I don't understand what the obsession with the Dinobots, like, are the Dinobots, like, again, again, I texted you during this movie and I was like, this is Prometheus. Like, this whole fucking movie is Prometheus. (laughs) Yeah, Except Prometheus is a better movie than this. Yeah. Regardless of your feelings on Prometheus, whether or not you think it's bad, it's a better movie than this. Oh, well, yeah. Like, I could, like, use my phone and grab some Transformers figures from ten feet away and probably shoot something better than this. <laughs> um, maybe I'll take that up as a challenge for the end of the podcast. But yeah, like, it is funny that the both movies open in, like, the exact same way with the creators, like, doing something in ancient Earth or, like, mm-hmm. an ancient planet to, like, influence how things develop, and then, like, years later, they decide that, like, they need to go back on what their creation is, but, like, the creators aren't actually in the movie, so we don't actually get to find out what's wrong with the thing that they've done. Yeah. Um, Which is another comparison to, like, the IDW comics, where you've got, like, Tyrest being annoyed at, like, the Mm -hmm. things that he's created in the past and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ideas that are, like, potent. That's the thing. This is why it's the most frustrating one to me. There's so much shit that, like, objectively was never going to be good. But there's also some stuff on the table where I'm like, you had something here if you wanted it. Like, oh. But um, my favourite line in the movie is spoken by Sophia Miles, who is barely a fucking character in the movie. We're geologists first. She tries to make, like, a really, like, like one-liner act, like, hey, man. <laughs> She's like, go ahead and shoot me. Oh, just very good stuff. Um, K. Diego has a truck. He wants to buy another truck. His daughter is is teenage and dating, and that's a problem for him. That sentence I just said is a large part of what's wrong with this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just find that... I get it. This plays to... Oh, I don't like using this terminology, but... This feels like something a corporate exec would be like, this will play in middle America, you know? Like, this is relatable. Dad who doesn't want his daughter to date kind of thing. And I just find this the fucking driest, like, weak source kind of character. There is there is zero juice here of KD Yeager coming to terms with the fact that his daughter's boyfriend might actually be a good guy that he can, like, entrust her to. But he's got all those, like, platitudes of, like, you need to take care of her forever. Like, there is no... <laughs> yeah. You can, like, like there is no I will release you only to your permanent owner, basically. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's really gross in terms of how... Like, there is no... Nothing where he's like, yeah, she's 17 years old, she's gonna date around a little bit, and then maybe in, like, 10, 5, 10 years she'll, like, find someone she wants to settle down with. Instead, every conversation with, with Jack Rayner, Nicola Peltz-Beckham, and, like, Mark Wahlberg is like, y- you are going out on this forever. And we need to get to the really gross bit now, which is... Oh, God. <laughs> Jack Rayner's character is 20 years old. Yes. She is 17. The first time this comes up... like, And I, I'm not someone who's going to get, like, super icky about, like, age gaps, but there is something about, like, whenever you hear there's a 20-year-old who's dating a 17-year-old, you're like, mm, are you hanging out with, like, you're at college and you've gone back to hang out with high school kids? Because mm-hmm. that, like, there's a... We there all, is a it's, there's a development gap. We all that. went to school with girls that had significantly older boyfriends, and you're like, it's a bit weird. But that's all you think about it. And then you become an adult and you think back and you're like, yeah, that's not right. 
<laughs> but the thing is, are you? But you also kind of sympathise because both ways is bad. But it's like they're given an option of someone who is a couple of years older and maybe more mature than the kind of like nose picking sixteen year olds that you're hanging out with <laughs> when you're at, when you're at high school. Yeah, like, like that's that. that's like, always given as the allure. It's like oh, older boys are, are much more sophisticated and mature. And it's like, but the thing is, the ones really you're dating, that. the ones you're dating are the ones who can't find a girl their own age to. Go that out was with. always my justification. I'm like, I mean. It, yeah, it smacks of no one his age wants to go out with him, only younger people, because he's exploiting that he seems more mature, like, by a factor of a tiny amount. But it doesn't sound as bad when they're like, oh yeah, 20 and 17. Like, it's not ideal, but it doesn't sound as awful. But then when they triple down on it to try and justify it and defend this thing that they made up, <laughs> like, they didn't have to do any of this, and they bring in their laminated Romeo and Juliet law card... It's is based on a pre-existing pre pre pubescent or like pre yeah. like uh, age of consent like yeah. uh, relationship. Therefore, it's fine. Like we yeah. dated when I was eighteen and she was fourteen, or like seventeen and Me- she was thirteen, or whatever. Like, I think it was meant to be sixteen and thirteen. Which, that sounds a lot worse to me than 20 and seventeen, even though it's an identical gap, you know. But like in their effort to justify it, they have made it so much worse. Um, I I mean that may be me misunderstanding like the the sweet spot between like what American high school years are versus ours and then also like what Americans consider like age of consent he was yeah he I think she was like in her second year of high school and he was in his last year of high school so he would have been 17 or 18 and she would have been 14 or 15 yeah and I think that sounds super super fucked up (laughs) Even though it's just the same, but mo- but that's where the age gap thing becomes a thing, is when you move it around, you're like, right, so when I was out there, like, losing my virginity and, and, and doing all this, you were, like, an age that when I say it out loud, I just feel bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a thing bizarre like... thing that I don't know what compelled them to do this, other I mean, than, like, probably... it makes yeah. Mark Wahlberg's character more uncomfortable, but it's like, yeah, but, like... While generally the sitcom, the overprotective sitcom dad trope is like, you're being unreasonable. If this guy's a grown-ass fucking man (laughs) and he's been dating your daughter since she was 14, that is super fucked up. Like, he's not wrong. I mean, it's also, I don't know if it's because, like, that is the exact age difference between Jack Rayner and Nicola Peltz Beckham. Maybe. I, I, I just, I feel like it's also fucked up because... That's the part he objects to the least, his age. It's just that he's generally a guy that's trying to date his daughter that bothers him. And it's like, why aren't you bothered by this being a guy that, like, looks like he could play, like, you? <laughs> like, It's really, really weird that the movie, like, insists on making a plot point, as you say. Like, it's it, it just bizarre. Yeah. But, like, then when the entire, like, his entire section of the movie is, like, he is basically alternating between talking to optimus and trying to like like figure out how to be a family man and stuff like that that yeah. is like his two driving motivations in this movie neither of them are good no and it just completely depowers this character yeah it doesn't help they saddle him with tj miller like this character was written for him this character of lucas like you know you're talking about how they go and get these stars i'm not saying tj miller was a star at any point but this was around the era you know, he was having his moment, if you will. Yeah, um, like Silicon fucking scumbag, Valley starts, obviously. Yeah, goes without scumbag. Saying. Silicon Valley starts this year. He's he's. I'm just trying to think uh, where he actually is in his career because, like, he's done 
Cloverfield's obviously his first movie role. Yeah. And then he's kind of like bumming around. Like he's in like so many comedy movies in 2010 yeah. where he's in like She's Out of My League, Get Him to the Greek, yeah. um, How Train Dragon, Unstoppable, Yogi Bear, Gulliver's Travels. He's just fucking all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I, think... My, my take is TJ Miller has always existed to feed off Seth Rogen's scraps. Like mm. this is too big of a role for Seth. Seth wouldn't do this. I'll I'll step in as the chubby, like weird voiced, like comedy man to do it instead. Um, I mean, but he's also definitely someone who like he found his niche. I feel from having yeah. that voice because a lot of his early stuff is obviously doing voice roles. Like he's he's he does like eighty two episodes of the DreamWorks Dragons TV show. He's in Gravity <laughs> Falls. He's yeah. uh, like he's he's all over the place in terms of voice acting. But I feel like it really is this year with this mm-hmm. movie in Silicon Valley that kind of like bumps him up a little bit. Yeah, but it's also Deadpool like a few years later. And... Yeah, exactly. Deadpool, Big Hero Six. Yeah, all these different things, but I mean, Silicon Valley to me is the one, and obviously he was the breakout. I think like I don't think he was a regular in the first season, or like he wasn't supposed to be, and then they bump him up to to a regular role, mm. um, like before the show premieres, so he gets like the full full paycheck or whatever. But obviously, that's also the show that like it, he gets fired from after four seasons, mm. and is the end of his career basically like yep. he he has done basically nothing well like, they've seconds. confirmed he's not coming back for deadpool 3 because of his his being a fucking sex offender uh in real yeah, life yeah because you got this thing well like his tv career stops after 2017 he has got nothing after 2017 2018 he's got ready player one and deadpool 2 which he obviously filmed beforehand yeah he does voice the character in how to train dragon 3 but they overdub his lines by the person who takes over for him on the tv show i believe uh-huh. and then he's in underwater and the stand in 2020 but i don't know how much of that is like these are like movies that have sat on a shelf for like probably, several years probably and like they wouldn't have done it if yeah everything if, he, if everything comes to light and then his career is over yeah and hopefully we'll never ever see him in anything again he is annoying him like immediately just just the worst fucking like, I'm not too good to say that like there have been TJ Miller roles I have enjoyed, but this is like the worst TJ Miller <laughs> that, that exists. I mean, him getting hit in the fucking head with like the rocket, or whatever it is, and he's got like the fucking mark on the back of his head. Like apparently, you texted me and said like he annoyed Michael Bay so much that like they made sure that his death is like super super graphic. That is, I it smacks to me a little bit of like fan embellishment, but yeah, like there are like he gave quotes of like. It was a very bipolar experience working with Michael Bay because he would be just yelling at him in front of everyone, like, you're not funny, you haven't said anything funny all day, it's not too late to cut you out of this movie, say something funny. And then they would cut, they would rap shooting for the day and be like, hey, do you want to go get sushi? Like, And that's where, like, you brought up that, like, a lot of the actors seem to have a good time working with Michael Bay, and I push back a little bit because I think it's the people that are in the, like, day-to-day scenes that are having to do, like the stuff around explosions, I think he probably works them quite hard because, like, you know, Megan Fox got fired for speaking out against him and Shia LaBeouf was like, yeah, these were horrible to make. But then, like, you have the people who are strutting in who are too good for these and their scenes are kind of segmented off to the side and they do seem to have a better time. Um, I'm not saying, oh, poor TJ Miller, but, yeah, they do super fucking violently kill him. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, like, obviously people talk about, like, the the death of the babysitter in Jurassic World and how, like, needlessly graphic (laughs) that death is. What did she do? (laughs) 
<laughs> don't know, but like the fact that she gets like thrown around as much as she does is fucking wild mm-hmm. when you watch that movie. In this movie, they're running away from explosions that are like it's almost Power Rangers esque explosions <laughs> when he dies. I mean, like we, we're skipping over a whole load of the movie where basically yes. I just like, kind of want to get him it. out of the way, you know? No, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, like where they they basically found the corpse of Optimus. I guess, yeah. Like, I mean, because he's not really reacting much, and then apparently he, uh, he gets he gets yeah he gets Optimus from like they visit like an old movie theater, which for some reason has a fucking eighteen wheeler truck. I don't know, he's not an eighteen wheeler, but you know, a giant ass fucking truck inside of it, um, along with some other crap. And like you know, you get shit like the the guy who owns the theater being like, yeah, everything's a bunch of remakes and sequels these days. And like, <laughs> but yeah, he takes this big brown rusted truck home fixes it up and lo and behold it's fucking optimus who fixes his paint job by scanning a different truck and is like what when has this ever been a thing (laughs) like i know they scan to change their form but like why doesn't he look like the truck he just scanned? I mean, maybe it is the same model. I can't tell like one truck from another, honestly, outside of the paint it's job. It's very quick, and they don't do the kind of like the normal thing they do where they like really shove off this this car that they're doing. Yeah. I guess because trucks are a little bit less exciting than. Well, yeah. Well, and yeah, Optimus. Um, I mean, yeah. Also, why, like, why does like scanning also... give him this the flame paint job, and he gets an Autobot badge back and everything? And it's like this is strange, but yeah, he's it's, like it's on so death's weird. door and. It's so weird because like they remove the rocket and that seems to be the thing that has been mostly hurting him. Mm. But the thing that like brings him fully back to life is just driving past another another car, as you say. Yeah. Um, very funny that like I also don't understand the thought process behind why like certain things happen in Dark of the Moon. Yep. Optimus was a and very luckily that the um, uh, Wikipedia has kind of like come with like all the cars that they were. Oh yeah, he is he is a 1994 Peterbilt 379 semi trailer truck right. in, in Dark of the Moon. He has for some reason scanned a 1977 Mammon 97 semi truck. Like I don't know why he scanned a worse truck. Like was he trying to hide? But then <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's the same thing as B, where like Bumblebee was like in Dark of the Moon. Bumblebee is a what is Bumblebee? Bumblebee is a 2011 Chevrolet Camaro, and then when he shows up in this movie, he is a 1967 Chevrolet Camaro. And it's like why? Why are you exclusively Camaros, <laughs> but seemingly reg- regressing in terms of like what your looks are mm-hmm. and being taking the piss out of for being an old car. I know, oh, the weird, not the weirdest scene in the movie, this, this movie's full of very weird scenes, but yeah, B being mocked for being a, like a shitty car, it's like, it's still a fucking Camaro, man, <laughs> and it looks really sick, and then he like transforms into something else. Um, he transforms into the new 2014 the new, model, like that's yeah. the thing, it's like, all of these movies, they purposely fill them to the brim of like, the, the, the latest model of all of these cars. Yeah. So like, when Optimus scans it, he becomes a, a 2014 model. Like Galvatron's a 2014 model. Bumblebee becomes a 2014 model. It's kind of gross when you realise just how much product placement they are getting from the cars in these movies. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Like, and and uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but ba- but apparently they've got scanning that's so good that they found Optimus. Like the what is the well, group that Cemetery Wind. Okay, yes. It's 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 a black it's like treadstone, you know, like don't tell me about it, just go do it. And they're called C- Cemetery Wind. That's why I call them like a paramilitary group because I think they're yeah, they're they're unsanctioned and yeah, so Fraser is running this black op 
group, uh, Harold Attinger, I'm just going to call him Fraser though, with Titus Welliver, who I always enjoy when he shows up in things, but he's fucking nothing here. They work alongside Lockdown, who, you know, as I said, created for a cartoon a few years earlier, hugely popular uh, because he has this sort of neutral bounty hunter character, and in a series that is defined by you're one of these or you're one of those, having someone who's who breaks that um, that hegemony is good, I think. And, and it's like, okay, this is a bit different. He is here to hunt down, as you said, Optimus, but along the way, like, let's kill some fucking Autobots or capture them. He has made a deal, we will learn, with Frasier, where it's like, if I help you just capture Transformers and, you know, supply them to this ridiculous inventor, you will help me get Optimus Prime, I think is the is the deal there although it seems like you know i feel like you've got the skills to just get optimus on your own but whatever and yeah we we have a scene where like they hunt down ratchet who we're supposed to care about after having a grand total of what five lines in, in three movies something like that yep. less yeah so like but they keep on expecting because these characters have been in a few movies that yeah. like they've got emotional weight to them it's like you need to put the emotional weight yeah. onto them you can't exactly. just have yeah. a a character be in the background for three movies and then go like this is our big death this yeah movie. they've killed off the entire original five except for optimus like they they killed jazz in the first movie they kill optimus in the second movie second okay fine yeah they killed optimus then they killed ironhide now they've killed ratchet so i guess bumblebee's the last one standing yes they technically were in those movies i don't care that you've killed ratchet this isn't my ratchet this isn't my grumpy old medic <laughs> like but yeah, they, they they hunt him down. It's it's all done in a way where you're meant to feel all this sympathy for Ratchet. Yeah, like like I feel it because like it's kind of dark to have a character like just executed in this way when you know that he's just trying to run away and not do anything. Yeah. But not because I give a shit about the character. It's more of a like vaguely visceral reaction to murder than it is to <laughs> Yeah, to... like he's crawling along and like, no, please, and they like shoot him in the head and they, they do a the whole thing with like the events of the third movie, the Battle of Chicago, if you will, is like all over the news and like humans are now like anti-transformer. So they've all, Optimus ordered all the Autobots to cut ties with humans and, and hide. And uh, yeah, you then have this branch of the government who are like hunting them down, basically. And which, I, which presumably has happened off screen, hasn't it? Because like yeah. end of three, it feels like everything's going all yeah. right. Like Bumblebee forces marriage on... Sam and his girlfriend and yeah. then we cut to this movie and everyone is like in different locations and like I something I get went the down with Optimus something in went New down Mexico. <laughs> yes but I don't know whether or not it was like was it like an elect the election of 2012 happened and like the a sea change occurred or something like I don't, I don't know again this the movies are like so scared to get political but they will have this like political stuff hanging off them that I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. is that it like did someone run a, a, an election campaign around like fuck these fucking robots they destroyed chicago yeah and, i mean like, I think it's all just like a stand-in for like china and and, and immigrants and and like you know uh, the middle east and, and all of that like you know that is very much the the way Fra- you know fraser is playing it is like i will do anything i'm a patriot god damn it and I, th- I think it's a good way to go it's just it never gets fully it's only interesting because of him like well, the, yeah, it's only it's only interesting to him, and they've stapled on yeah. like corporate stuff on top of it. Where like, yeah, I feel like the only reason Bay doesn't like Kelsey Grammer is because Kelsey Grammer is trying to give up actually saving the country to make money from saving the country. Yes, he's like, he's trying to get rich quick by 
basically insider trading with Stanley Tucci's character. They're supplying him Transformers. He's trying to reverse engineer them, make make a human-controlled Transformer. And in exchange, he's going to give him, like... It's a ridiculous number when they say it. A very large number of shares, and then he can retire from the CIA and be rich as fuck. But, um, but then they do they do that thing where, like, the movie is so... Like, so wants to make these guys obviously the villains that, like, you've got the execution of Ratchet that happens early mm-hmm. on in the movie. And then once they figure out where Optimus is and they come to, to Kay's farm... Yeah, they kill his daughter. Immediately... <laughs> Just, yeah, like yeah. They're like let's put a gun to this like seventeen-year-old girl's head, and they don't even play it off as like we're doing this to get Optimus out of hiding. They're like, no, we're fully going to do this. Like, the gun is cocked. I'm going to the order. Shoot the this order is given. And... Like that's when yeah. Optimus bursts out. It's not just a bluff. Like, oh yeah, we're willing to make threats that we wouldn't follow through on. It's like no, he gave the order to kill her. <laughs> like, and then. Uh... Yeah, Optimus bursts out, and we skipped over that his first line is, I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think one of his last lines is, I'll kill you. (laughs) It's just like, they have really just put that pedal to the floor on Optimus being just a giant murder bot. Um, yeah, you you hear his like like auto, uh, like Autobots go hide, but the moment that like Cade like takes the bullet out of like his casing and stuff like that, and he comes to life, he immediately is like guns out, like I'll kill you. Yeah, just ramble it like frothing at the mouth. This famed diplomat and defender of freedom, um, who who fights in a war because he must, but does not enjoy it, is like I'll kill you. Um, th- right. Okay. The other thing is, I wouldn't be opposed to this as a characterization for this character if it was bouncing off of something. Yeah. Like, if they were like, this isn't the Optimus that I know, he's going down a dark path. But, like, these movies are so murder-happy, and, like, every one of these movies, like, every single fucking one of these movies Mm. comes up with some reason for why the Decepticon forces have a billion fucking robots by the end of it. Like, I think, like, one is the only one which doesn't have them fighting, like, just reams and reams of enemies at the end of it. And... It's just, it literally is so that they can show off destruction. But I'm like, no, no, no. Mm. Something like Bumblebee matters so much more because, like, yeah. you've got two fucking robots who are trying to track down Bumblebee. Yeah, and, like, that that's my thing. Like, again, why it frustrates me. I, I don't like the facial design of Lockdown. I his face is weird. They've made a choice. I don't like it. That's fine. And, again, he's fucking grey while all the others have colours. For a minute, I was like, have they done it? Have they made... A compelling main villain because Laserbeak was cool, but he was very much like a minion. And I was like, oh my god, they've done it! Like a compelling main villain with an interesting background and a personality, and a, he's a persistent threat. And they establish what he can do, and he, it's just one instead of twenty. But then he'll disappear for like an hour, and like you know, start to feel unimportant to the plot. And then like, oh no, he's the biggest element of the plot, or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean that's the thing is like the weakness of this movie is like we spent quite a while like doing this like stuff on the farm with like Cade and like yeah. Cemetery Wind and like Lockdown's background. Kind of where the movie completely falls apart after this is like the first like 30, 40 minutes. Of this movie feel like a movie. Yeah, I, I like, that's why I said to you, it, I'm not saying it's good. But it is moving at an acceptable pace for a like 100, 110 minute movie. And like, I can see the movie in here. And then, like, here's some other shit. And it just completely 
buckles under the weight of all the other shit. Like uh, it just turns into so many like sequential action sequences. Like they run away, they get chased again, and like this is where TJ Miller gets like blown up by Transformium uh-huh. and becomes like a like, like a, a living, living statue. statue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and like and the do the the old the sex offender boyfriend rescues them in a rally car like oh yeah nice and inconspicuous the government will never be able to track your rally car in like <laughs> a cornfield you, and stuff that you bought with your life savings <laughs> yes exactly how much yeah. does a rally car cost <sighs> probably a depressing amount i'm also like could, I, don't know, I gather he was i could buy a car. rally car i mean obviously it's a suzuki jimny turbo for fifteen thousand euros okay not bad yeah i guess less than the house yeah, and they, it gets them. They they get oh, to I get do a mini mini for rally challenge for seven thousand five hundred pounds. And then you too could say things. I like... I get the feeling this guy's not saved that much money. <laughs> yeah, you too could say things like, "Grab my stick. She's got the best hands in the business," which is just like, what? <sighs> like, I know what you're doing, I mean, I... but what? Yeah, especially when you've already done. No, wait, are they are they just about to do the underage bit or? Have yeah, they then not that, done that, that then that then hard cuts to you know they take refuge in the bar and he pulls out his laminated. No, I'm not a sex <laughs> offender um, card, which giant red flag. Um, we get all these scenes I, where I whenever they regroup, there's this like I don't know if Imagine Dragons did it, but like there's all this music that is like this sort of faux acoustic, like completely tonally dissonant. So it happens like four times. They're like they're planning to do their I raid. Think it, I or, think it is Imagine Dragons because it is it is credited like it's Hans Zimmer or like it's it's Steve Jablonski taking over for Hans Zimmer because I think Jablonski is one of like Hans Zimmer's guys. Mm. And then Imagine Dragons get like an additional music by or whatever additional yeah. music credit. Yeah, which I think is like they helped with like the four suites of the music or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and they like so. It's not good. No, it's not. So cemetery wind use tech provided by uh, Stanley Tucci's character Joshua Joyce, the CEO of KSI. Was KSI the YouTuber a thing at this time? KSI, I think he was. Mm. Not big enough for them to okay. not put, not not name this. Yeah, it was a very UK based, wasn't he? So like, he was, I, yeah, I, I doubt yeah. they. Uh, yeah, 2013 well, is when like sidemen start to become like a thing. So that's okay. that's about. Yeah. about then fuck him fuck the pauls fuck them all yeah so he's providing them tech like these drones Cade ends up with one because he's a genius inventor oh he has an einstein poster in his in his workshop i find that incredibly funny <laughs> he hacks I feel, like there are, I feel like there are some people on working on this movie who want to undermine the characterization and they're only able to do it through like <laughs> background details stuff that he would never notice yeah apparently mark Wahlberg does own a ranch in montana so like you know, they're not that far off with this stuff. Yeah, he, he hacks one of these little drones and he finds, you know, he's got proof that they're, like, capturing decept- uh, Transformers and supplying them and whatever. So they're like, right, let's go to KSI headquarters. We have, like, the worst fucking heist in the world. Oh, we've I should say, we meet our little cast of, of Autobots. Like, Optimus is like, right, let's get the band back together. Here's four more people you've never met before. Who knows what <laughs> they, they showed, were doing? <laughs> they showed up at some point in between Transformers 3 and Transformers 4. Yes. Um, who knows how? Every, who knows how? Who knows why they were summoned? Apparently, like, people were showing up really late to kind of help out with this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they've arrived and the party's over, bro. <laughs> like, oh, I've come to help you in Chicago. Oh, oh There's a line of them saying, like, we've given six Autobots, like, amnesty. It's like, are these the six Autobots you gave amnesty to? Because these weren't the six that were, like, fought at the Battle of I think um, it's meant to include, like, Ratchet and Leadfoot and people that were there. 
that have been hunted. Right, and then these, but then these three have shown up late. Yeah, so we have Hound, who is played by John Goodman, like solid cast. Basically, Ledfoot. I don't know why he's just not. I get that <laughs> Ledfoot was voiced by John DiMaggio, but you basically just got Ledfoot. Maybe, and like you've given him cups, cigar, and like he looks like Bulkhead, who was a big part of the cartoons. Is is Hound is Hound the most successful Autobot outside of Optimus and Bumblebee? To find successful, as in like they've come up with a actually, character. They've come up with a character who's actually got shit to do in the movie. I guess, but he says I'm a fat ballerina with guns or something like that. He does say that. I mean, he's also got my favorite line in the movie, which makes no fucking sense. Which is, um, I'm a fat ballerina who takes scalps and slits throats. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Which doesn't make any. Uh, I'm a fat ballerina. Okay, why do opt- why do Autobots have a concept of what fat is? Because uh-huh. don't they don't eat things to make them t- you you were built this way? Like no. literally, like like there is no reason. Like the only reason you're fat is because that fits with however you were constructed. Uh-huh. Um, Autobots, as far as we know, don't have scalps. Uh, I guess not. No. I think you could take off the the like the head panel of an Autobot, but I don't. Or a, oh, a I didn't. I, I didn't bring it up um, when we did the episode uh, with the Overlord arc uh, in the in the comic episodes. In the flashbacks where like Overlord is fighting Megatron, uh, there's that controversial thing where he's got his helmet off and he has like hair, quote unquote, and everyone hates it, and I I do too. But it's just yeah, that went uncommented. He's got these like red like, quills across the back of his head, and it's like, people have called it hair. And it's like, oh, this is why he's always wearing that helmet. Like, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and then he says a slit throat, which, again, I don't think slitting an, a, a Cybertronian's throat would Do anything. Them, I don't no. think... I mean, we, we've seen them have their heads taken off and, like, survive. Yeah, this is true. Uh, yeah, John Goodman. Everyone loves John Goodman. Um, I think he, he suits this role. Um, it has some cringe dialogue, but, like, you know, it's... I guess it's fun. Like... It's obviously not the twins. It, it's more acceptable than that. Yeah. But he's there. Yeah. Uh, we have Drift, played by Ken Watanabe, in a deeply racist role. So yeah, like Drift was designed as a samurai, and, you know, is all about honour and the sword and everything. So it, it was always a bit racist. But then for the movie, they're like, hmm, let's make this even more explicitly a samurai, have him speak in haikus, and... It's just re- it's really really bad, and I'm surprised Ken Watanabe wanted to do it. But it, it's also weird that they kind of I don't I don't want to say like they stunt cast Hound and Drift, but like yeah. they get people who could lead a movie, yeah. and then they're just like yeah, John DiMaggio is voicing Crosshairs, who yeah. uh, apparently wants to kill Optimus and take <laughs> control of the Autobots himself. I think he just wants to fight everyone. He feels like he's supposed to be well a little bit, or like... yeah. Yeah, they're like they're allegedly both wreckers, and we had wreckers briefly in the previous one. Like they're guarding, which is the why they rocket. react to like, yeah, they react to Leadfoot dying, and like, like hounds like oh, Leadfoot. Yeah, 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 and rip, rip to Leadfoot. It's never said in the movie, but all the promotional tie-in does say that Drift is a former Decepticon turned Autobot. So maybe that's your explanation why we didn't see him before. Like he had his change of heart during Chicago or some shit. I don't know. They're all pretty badly written but i do like their designs a lot more like i can i know who they all are immediately like that's that's good that's a step in the right you, direction you know who they all are but none of them look like what they look like in any other form of this media absolutely but like i'll still take this over what they've been doing before no, like, sure, i will take this over ratchet as like a neon yellow green fucking ambulance that looks more like a jeep like 
and doesn't act like Ratchet, you know. I, I just don't understand because obviously, like Ken Watanabe is a is a Bugatti Veyron. He's so a he's, triple like, changer in this movie. Yeah, very casually, never a thing that has been in any of these before. But he has three forms. He turns into a helicopter and a Bugatti, and they make no yeah. effort to explain any of that. And he also has never he's... seen turning into the car. He, we see him transform into the helicopter. There's a lot of that actually. Like I hadn't really noticed before, but a lot of transforming happens off screen and. I read that in this movie is only the second time to this point we'd ever seen Optimus turn into the truck. We've seen him turn from the truck into the robot, but only twice have we seen him turn into the truck, and that blew my mind. Because <laughs> he's the one that's like actually got screen time in all of them. Yeah, I think again, some of that is like a cost-saving thing. I'm sure. Like, oh, I'm absolutely sure. But like, that's part of the problem. <laughs> Like seeing the transform is kind of the deal, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's also quite funny though because like whenever they do transform into the car, it's always as as we said the first episode, like so complicated. Like some of the some of the transformations in this movie are like so needlessly complicated, especially when like there's a scene where Optimus like. Like as you, like he transforms into the truck and like he puts his head down and puts his arms down and they become like the bumpers and like the the mm. chassis of the of the car. Then later on, there's bits where like when he transforms from the truck into Optimus or like into his robot form, like things are like flipping around and stuff like that. And yeah. his hands weren't where they were in that earlier scene in the movie. Yeah. And it's like you're yeah. just doing this because you want it to look cool. They're not so because you're... concerned with like how would this realistically happen that they make it seem more unrealistic than when they just stand up. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like in G1, most of them just, they just stand up and a head pops out, basically. Yeah, there's she. I fucking hate you. I also the think they, like, they drastically change in size as well. They like do. There are scenes where, like they, again, they turn from their robot form into the, the car form, and they shrink at mm. points. Yeah, like when they're a car, they're a normal human-sized car, and then when they stand up, they're like 20 feet tall or something. It's like, that doesn't work as a scale. Oh, also, Optimus says, when I find out who's behind this, he's going to die. Just, <laughs> just, it's wild. Um, so in they go to KSI, Danny Tucci, playing Joshua Joyce. He really fucking has a good time making these movies because he's coming back next week as Merlin. And I cannot wait. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Elon Musk is, like, prominent enough at this time for this to be a sort of soft pastiche of him. But, yeah, he's, like, a dickhead billionaire inventor. Super, like... I need this exact sound playing when I walk through this door. This is the past. This is the future. All this shit. But yeah, like, I don't hate it, but I don't think it's great either. <laughs> yeah, Tucci's the only person in this movie that's, like, switched onto the wavelength of what the movie should be, but the movie isn't what it should be. Mm. And so, therefore, he comes off as, like, feeling really, really weird, especially when we get to China. And, well, yeah, like, he just has a giant 180 of morality and, like, changes into a different person. <laughs> and um, is making jokes that are, like, especially weird. Like, not that this yeah, movie yeah, isn't yeah, funny, yeah. but, like, in this early portion, like, he obviously gets two of the worst bits of, like, product placement related to his character. Like, oh, the bit where, like, the he shows pill. Trans- Yeah. <laughs> yeah, beats pill with a transformium. And then the other one is, like, they've made a, an Oreo transformer. Yes, yes. Oh Jesus! But then this this entire sequence is is trash because it's yeah. basically they they walk in to this facility essentially. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg has glasses up. and a lab coat on now, so different person. Yeah, they go in, they blow up most of the thing, they get chased out, and then that's when they send like Galvatron. They, they unleash Galvatron. So yeah, like he is in theory, Joyce is the one that links these separate plot elements because our geologist from the beginning is like an old acquaintance i think it might yeah it's his ex-girlfriend she like she is supplying the transformium which he is using 
to make their own Transformers and they're like melting down or repurposing dead Autobots and Decepticons for parts. We have like Sentinel Prime's head in a jar and stuff like that. Yeah, they're trying to make their own one and in an, in an attempt to make a knockoff Optimus Prime Galvatron, it keeps coming out looking like Megatron for some reason. And then, yeah, when the Autobots raid the lab and then make their escape, they unleash Galvatron, which is a remote control transformer that looks slightly not like Optimus Prime but does turn into a truck. It starts going rogue. It's it's possessed by Megatron. Like, it's a repurposed Megatron. Yeah, Megatron's Galvatron. head is there. They, that's where yeah. they're pulling like the how to like actually make transformers out of it. The only thing it really does is like it changes the head because like yeah. none of the rest of it looks like Megatron. It it really, really is only the head that it's copying because yeah. it's got that weird like it's got thing glowing chest. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Glowing blue hole in the middle which yeah. I guess. Like, the only thing it looks similar to is when Sam pushes the Allspark into Megatron <laughs> in the first movie. But I, I think don't it's just think supposed it's to evoke like... Galvatron slightly. I don't know. Because Galvatron, famously, in, in the old animated movie, uh, Megatron dies, and then Unicron, like, turns him into Galvatron. Uh, and then he remains Galvatron for the rest of the cartoon. Although I think he maybe turns back to Megatron at some point. I don't really remember. I mean, we, we, it's like one of those pieces of Transformers lore that I think... Yeah everyone kind of regrets at this point because like it's like yeah it's cool that he turned into something else but it's like but he was cooler before so it's like you feel like you feel indebted to acknowledge it that galvatron is a thing but then it's like once you've gone forward you're like compelled to go back so idw split the difference and like galvatron's a separate person don't worry about it but yes which i feel like that should be what everything does now it's like megatron and galvatron are different people yeah especially idw also got the out with that where like unicron isn't a thing in that universe until the very very end like that's what they've always been building up to whereas this movie is like they don't split the difference and they don't have unicron so it's like the only reason you did this is because megatron has now died twice yeah i get it like you you played your megatron hand kind of too early and didn't do enough with him and you've killed him and you've you can't just keep resurrecting him so like okay the humans are going to repurpose him as galvatron but then he's going to reclaim the body and like i think he's calling himself megatron again in the next one i don't don't yeah i think he's he's also got a new design in the next movie because obviously nothing none of it means anything yeah so it goes a bit rogue and there's civilian casualties and lockdown shows up and and captures optimus oh haven't acknowledged lockdown's face turns into a gun which is pretty fucking cool um (laughs) in in my opinion yeah so he captures him and yeah we then have this fucking sequence what should be the end of the movie yeah kind of yeah like rescue them from the ship big action blowout fight lockdown beat lockdown movie over and it's yeah, not like that. unleash the unleash the Dinobots. Like Optimus rides a Dinobot as he's like taking down Lockdown and all sure, the rest of it. And sure. instead, they like they sneak out somehow. They detach like an a, like it's a, like a secondary escape. shuttle. Yeah. yeah, and Lockdown doesn't notice it's missing until he's like halfway home and has to turn around. And I think that's funny, but not in a way they intended. But they've also got the thing where like Optimus, like he spots that Lockdown has like got people captured and like he's like oh look at these things and then the movie ignores them for like another 40 minutes exactly. after this for them to do their china nonsense mm. it's so lockdown also underlines a huge problem they've had where like they kind of simultaneously assume you know everything about g1 on what transformers are and also is like all of that is for nerds and you shouldn't care about it because like he's talking about your pointless war which like we haven't really had enough development on the war and he says things like you think you were born you were built your creators want you back we all work for someone 
and it's just like you have chosen a really late in the game time to get into these kinds of questions that like we've all been asking from the beginning kind of thing and saying stuff like i've finally captured all the knights again is is the whole thing of like they're trying to put lore into these movies that haven't been interested in lore before exactly and it kind of completely robs all of it of its like wind in its sails and like i if Michael Bay was interested in what it meant to be a Transformer, like who created them and all this other yeah. stuff, then it might work. But the thing is, he so plainly isn't. And the stuff that he is interested in is like, oh yeah, I like the idea of the Transformers using swords and being like knights, <laughs> and, which is why the next movie is like Arthurian yeah, like, yeah, legend yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah, I just haven't just... engaged with things like what the war actually means, what a prime is where Transformers come from, like, yeah, it's too late to shoehorn all this, like, deeper mythology in, and even though I think this is sort of the better bit of the movie, this, like, 25 minutes of escaping the ship is, like, powerfully dull somehow. Yes, like, after after the third movie where, like, yes, that final action set piece goes on for probably too long, it is consistently kind of, like, operating at a level that is visually interesting, and yeah, this is yeah. just not. Like, this movie is, like, oh, what if the human characters had shit to do and they're, like, going across some cables that we've got to connect <laughs> this spaceship to to a building and they're worried yeah, they're yeah. going to fall off. And it's just, like, this movie, more than anything, suffers from having to give the human stuff to do mm. and the human stuff really, really starts to overpower everything yeah, else. In it, this. it especially feels that way because, like, you're not going to get Mark Wahlberg and have him stand around doing nothing. Like, you can justify having the teenage coded early 20 something characters like hide but like oh mark Wahlberg's an all-american hero he wouldn't just sit there and not participate so he has to do shit as well and the only visually interesting thing that happens is that like crosshairs does a weird parachute jump with two guns and even that is like all over the trailers so you'd seen it like 10 times but and then like off we go to china um for the for the extra movie we've got to make and it's yep. which, which, also bad. <laughs> yeah, like, they they basically, they convince Optimus that he needs to go to China to stop this. Well, yeah, so KSI have always had a, a China facility, like, he's he's in bed with, like, Chinese business part- partners. We see his, like, Chinese liaisons visiting uh, the KSI factory in Chicago. Although I don't know if it's supposed to be in Chicago or not. It is, either way. And then, yeah, he's like, right, we'll move. You know, they've hit us here, so we'll head over to China. And then, like, yeah, they want to stop this whole let's make our own Transformers thing. So I guess they all follow. But it is really just loosely stitched together. It's it's like a series of action scenes that have little coherence between them. Yeah, like, it's just when they get there. I'm just, I'm literally just trying to, like, figure out how they get split up because it's like the humans and Hound and Bumblebee are in, like, one section, and then in well, the other they one... Well, because they all, like, escaped the crashing ship before it crashed, and I think Optimus and some others remained aboard and then crash-landed the ship. Because they're in Hong Kong, and, and like, they crash into, like, a mountainous, foresty area where they end up freeing the Dinobots, and, like, he tames them. But who is it that, who is it that shoots them down? Uh, I don't really remember, because for 25 <laughs> minutes my brain was just empty. That's the thing is, I'm just like, my brain, it just, I, just, I can picture Cade being like, we need to, like, I need to go with Optimus yeah, to do this. Or yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then, but I can picture them being split up, and then, like, all the shots of Titus Welliver and, like, Kelsey Grammer in front of that, like, 
quite obviously cool looking like apartment complex where yeah. like the, obviously the camera's like pointing up and showing you this like this the cool building or whatever. like look how yeah. many people live here kind of and then it just becomes Cade is fighting Titus Welliver's character oh, fucking ridiculous this elite special forces fucker is defeated by having a football thrown at him and then he's tackled out of a window to his death. Because it's America. And obviously they end up in the one house that would have an American football in it. Uh Uh-huh. Not like a soccer ball or a rugby ball or anything like that. It has to be an American football because obviously you're in China. Other nations are are great admirers of everything about America. We know this. We live in the UK where, you know, we we do our best to to be as American as we can. Yes, as the person who watches NBA. Well, all right, fine. But, like, you know... There's this false perception that the rest of the world is looking on America and like, oh, wow, why can't we be more like them? Yeah, so this Special Forces operative wielding a knife, by the by, is is taken down by a football to the face and a, and a tackle out of a window to his... Yeah, and, his and Stanley Tucci has been convinced to, like, turn around because he yep. realises that... He, he had one conversation with Kate Yeager and, like, now he's, like, looking into, like, the, the background of stuff or... Yeah, like, his big prize was supposed to be this the seed which is like a fuckload of transformium like oh they were gonna set it off in the desert so they had like a hundred years worth of transformium away from you know everything else but then like the threat of it going off early convinces him actually everything i've been doing is bad so we play fucking chase stanley tucci across hong kong and it's all shitty and like he's making all these kind of like racially charged jokes and he's like got a giant erection for his chinese liaison and and like it's all very strange. I mean, where's the where's the line where it's like, uh, oh, what's, tra- what's how do you say how do you say get the fuck out of the way in Chinese? Yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. The one f bomb this movie gets. Yes. Um, again, this is when like he turns into like a complete different character where yeah. like he's running around with this seed. They keep on making jokes about like give me this, give me your seed, and mm-hmm. all these other different bits and pieces. But then Stanley Tucci's like running through these hallways, and like at one point he turns to someone and goes like. All right, how's it going? Or, or like, hello. It just becomes um, like he's just rambling to himself and, and talking to himself, and just he's just completely unravelled. And like, yeah, less than an hour ago, he was like, everything is tightly composed and must be a certain way, and everything. And yeah, at one point, the seed like turns on, and they're trying to figure out whether or not it's going to go off. But it's just lockdown is like finally tracking the yeah tracking the seed, and meanwhile, like all of KSI's drones are like being possessed by galvatron and are now attacking yeah. like the two autobots that they've got yeah we've got our, we've got our knockoff bumblebees that are called stinger and bumblebee hates them obviously that's the only thing that's the only thing bumblebee gets to do in this movie is like yeah. be cross like, that he's not a new enough car and be annoyed that there are knockoff bumblebees yes yeah it's weird that they insist that optimus and bumblebee mean all of this and then like to just barely even there but even being well, this is the there first doing time... nothing means eight new toys and like a huge bump in box office and all that yeah but this is like the one where they they obviously pivot well i guess three doesn't do it either but like one and two bumblebee is like with sam mm-hmm. the entire movie three he's with the autobots and they give him like one moment with sam really and he's kind of but like he's just one of the fodder but this is like the the first movie where like optimus is the lead Bumblebee like is robot. like reduced to like jazz almost. Yes, <laughs> like like just 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 does not matter. Yeah, uh, something feels very off about all the geography of, of the. I mean, I know it's because they filmed it in like multiple places and tried to say it's all Hong Kong, but it just feels strange that like none of these places are connected. 
But yeah, Optimus yeah. rallies the Dinobots. He grabs a sword. He speaks Cybertronian. He he wrestles Grimlock to the ground. Every goddamn trailer for this movie, Dinobots front and center. It takes two hours and fifteen minutes for them to show up. If you discount the like corpse at the beginning or whatever, they were originally written to be guardians of the Allspark on Earth which makes more plot sense and is, again, sort of loosely mirroring their IDW role, where, like, okay, so they were on Earth guarding the Allspark and then Megatron came looking for it and, like, oh, maybe there's some history there. Like, they fought Megatron and they're why he's frozen in ice or what, but they scrapped that. And they're now just, like, the Knights of Cybertron who Lockdown has in his collection and then they're set free and Optimus rides a T-Rex that breathes fire. And But, like, Optimus has to be, like, I want you to team up with me and they're, like, fuck no, we're not going to do that. So Optimus <laughs> has to, like, wrestle it yeah, into it's submission. Yeah, to tame them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they I, I do like Drift's line about him expecting it to turn into a giant car is... Yeah, yeah. Decently funny. Pretty good. Um, I'm pretty happy we have. You know, these are not the original, the the core five Dinobots that have like always appeared and everything. We do get some extras. We get some omissions. I personally am happy to see a Spinosaurus, my favorite dinosaur. <laughs> but yeah, they all they all ride into town and help. Yeah, they run the back of dinosaurs and like Hound has been like basically single handedly fighting off all these characters at this point. There's yep. some moments where like. <laughs> He th- a grenade of his falls into the room with the humans, and they He's like, like pull the pin. Yeah, but yeah, but like Hound is like, I'm spent, I'm done. I'm out of ammo. Like, oh. I'm out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, is this like the end of Hound? Is Hound going to die? And then obviously all the all the other Autobots show up with the Dinobots, and the battle yeah. starts going the other way. But um, then... I lost track of who actually said it, but I wrote this quote down. Somebody says, "Got your fortune cookie right here." I don't know if it's Hound, but like, why... I think it's Hound. Why did you do I this? I don't know. I don't know how Hound knows what a fortune cookie is either. Just, just, what? And like, you're trying to appease China and fortune cookies famously are not Chinese. Like, I have to imagine that some of these lines were translated differently when they would, went to China. You would pray, yeah. And Optimus again yells, I'll kill you um, at lockdown. <laughs> yeah, lockdown, basic... lockdown's shown back up with like a giant fucking magnet that... Yeah. The first time someone's used magnets against the Autobots in this yeah. these movies, which yeah. pretty impressive. And basically, his entire technique is like turn the magnet on for a little bit, then turn it off and drop them, or like bring them up all the way up inside and like catch them again. Um, yeah, just leave them attached and fly them back yeah. to where you're trying to take them. It seems pretty effective. It like does. The, I mean, obviously, the humans get caught up in it because they're inside a car. There's a very very weird sequence where like they're trying to get out of the car and they mm. I, I, like just. It's not good. They keep whatever, on giving whatever, whatever, it's too yeah. much to do. And then Optimus and the Dinobots are like being lifted up and they're like trying to grab onto a building that has luckily got like one of those weird like walkway buildings where like there's a a walkway between two skyscrapers essentially and Optimus is like underneath it and then yeah. manages to fire a shot inside, blow up the spaceship, which yeah. sets us up for the the big final sequence, which is obviously Optimus and Cade versus Lockdown and Attinger or Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lockdown kind of kicks his ass a little bit, I'm going to be honest. Well, I mean, Opti- he, he kicks his ass because obviously Optimus in the middle of it remembers the promise he made earlier, which is me as giant robot, I need to fucking shoot the shit out of Kelsey Grammer. So Fraser does a giant racist monologue <laughs> directly at Cade. He's got him at gunpoint and he's like, oh, I'll do anything to protect my country. Um, we've already had somewhere in the lockdown is like, doesn't approve of 
them mingling with other species essentially so it's like do you see how both the villains are like racist and like against race mixing but like they hate each other but they're in a common goal and they're both using the other and like oh isn't it all very clever no yeah optimus just fucking murders man his first human kill that we know of i mean there's a lot of like wild explosions caused by them that probably killed at least a few humans but he just takes aim and wipes fraser off the map and then lockdown fucks him up and then we get this really over elaborate sequence with like a tow car and like they're all working together to like like lockdown pins optimus down with a sword and then they like pull it out and he yeah he cuts lockdown in half from behind and it's just this hyper violent murder again very similar to ambulance murder in the last volume except in zero ways it's similar because that is one of the most affecting moments in comic books ever (laughs) and this is just yet another like yeah, I guess these characters that aren't characters die in quite fucked up ways, but it's fine because they're robots. Like It's because these movies just can't linger on these moments to like make you realise the horror of some of this stuff. Yeah. Um so yeah. two two questions related to this. Number yeah. one, did you see did you see the mistake they made where like very clearly they used a shot where like Attinger was gonna die in a different way? So like when Oh, there's like, like two they're both hiding behind the wall. Two people stood there and they blow up the wall, and obviously that was supposed to be Attinger's death and another one. But like, it's when Wahlberg is like trying to take down Lockdown solo, and he's like using the the walls for coverage and all the rest of it. And at one point, there's just another guy stood next to him, which is <laughs> very obviously Attinger. It's like a split Ghost second. Of Attinger, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's fucking wild. Like, how do we feel about? Because obviously, the next movie is called The Last Night. At mm-hmm. some point, for some unexplained reason. Lockdown refers to Optimus as a knight. Yep, he is and the Optimus last knight, like, I believe. <laughs> yes, but he's now he's just like, yeah, now I use swords and a shield. Mm-hmm. Not guns. I'm not going to use guns in I this I feel like he briefly really used Optimus. a sword and shield. I feel like he used a sword and shield against Shockwave in 3. Like, he True, famously is... uses an axe, and they're like, oh, swords are cooler yes, than axes, is... and like, oh, I'm not sure I agree, but, but I get what you're doing, is... yeah. But like that, the axe is part of his body, isn't it? Like yeah, it he comes like, out of his it, instead of his hand. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't Whereas hold it; this, it replaces his hand. Yeah, yeah, he like picks up a sword from inside. Yeah, he becomes big ship. sword man. Oh, he also has a jetpack now. Just, just by the by, um, and he could, he I, needs to go fly off into space to go find out about the creators who. It's such a fucked up thing. Like he just not only can he fly, he's space worthy, you know, <laughs> and he's got enough fuel to like make it to another planet and they've spent like the last few movies kind of going like i can't go into we can't go back to cybertron we can never go back and now he's like now i i fly now yeah yeah, bye it's it's wild um galvatron Galvatron. survives and stalks off and is like i'll get you next time when i megatron again the dinobots just peace out uh and then yeah a man a working class man a single father hugs a billionaire who offers to buy them a house as a sorry uh, and they're just, you know, they're just a couple of inventors, you know? What separates them but class, you know? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's bad. It's really bad. It's offensively long. This movie is bad in different ways to Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're both, like, tied at the bottom of my Transformers, like, ranking. Obviously not having seen last night, but, like... I feel I, like I, when this one is working at its best, it's boring, and that's bad. Yes. <laughs> you know? I think that's that's the biggest crime, is, like... No matter what happens in Revenge of the Fallen, there is something batshit going on screen that you kind of like can't look away from. Yeah, like, even though my eyes, value in how my eyes start to like leave the screen during the action moments, in this, <laughs> my eyes start to leave the screen anytime anything is happening in the entire movie. 
it's a real bad one. Like, it, it, it isn't as... Yeah, it's what you said. It's not as bad as Revenge of the Fallen, but then, like, dull, and dull is often more... Is a bigger sin yeah, like than it's, bad. Yeah, like, it's less... It's less outwardly offensive as Revenge of the Fallen as well, which obviously, like, papers over some sins, but, like it feels so much more insidious yeah. in terms of like just how it's being pivoted, like all the stuff with China, all the product placement, uh, like all the Americana, like just there's something rotten at the core of this movie that at least Revenge of the Fallen is like open with how rotten to the core it is in terms of like everything. Whereas this movie's like trying to hold it back and like disguise it behind other stuff. And it's like, oh, look, there's dinosaurs. Look at the dinosaurs. And... <laughs> I don't I like this movie made me not care that it's got dinosaurs in it and that's that's a huge sin. It's wild, isn't it? But yeah, that's that's a goddamn movie. We'll be back next week to cover issues thirty four to forty four of More Than Meets the Eye, a much smaller number than we dealt with last week. Yeah, so that is volumes seven and eight of More Than Meets the Eye. Got some fun stuff. Megatron is is aboard and we'll see where that takes us next time. Uh, and then two weeks from now it will be the last night our collective blind spot in these movies i don't know if excited is the word what if we love it <laughs> what if we're last night truthers yeah yeah we're like cogman is god no. like anthony, anthony hopkins and cogman they should do a spin-off no because uh, i know what they do to hot rod and i can't ever forgive that it could be the best movie in the whole world but what they've done to my boy is uh is not right yeah, right. Is so, that better or worse than better or worse than letting Overlord onto the ship with full knowledge? Worse. Worse. <laughs> I'll try and defend that opinion next week. <laughs> in two weeks' time, uh, next week we will have my boy in all his glory, bickering with his co-captain. And uh, yeah, thank you for your time and audience. Roll out. This is why, why we fight, why we lay away. This is why, this is why we fight When we die, we will die with our arms unbound This is why, this is why So come to me, come to me now, lay your arms around me, this is why, this is why.